it's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 183. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening to you. You're very welcome to Taking Care of Business here on Midlands 103. What have we learned over the past week? Well, we've learned that Boris Johnson is prone to the occasional lie, apparently, and it would leave you questioning whether the Tory party or even he himself actually care about the great British public over there. We've also learned that Omicron may have already reached a peak and restrictions on hospitality and cultural events might be reduced or even lifted somewhat from later this week. Positive news indeed. We've also noticed that Brexit woes are lessening and exports are likely to grow both to the UK and beyond. And indeed, trade between the Republic and the North of Ireland has increased steadily as companies look at mitigating the harder effects of Brexit. Fantastic news in that local enterprise office supported companies' employment numbers are at an all-time high after a record year of job creation, coming on the back of a very tough year in 2020. We even see things like the Gwailtoc experiencing growth in job numbers through remote working, again driven by the pandemic, and it really is helping ask those questions around how we can develop our local communities and and our regions too. Um, Construction materials are continuing to rise in terms of price and they don't look like stopping anytime shortly. But all of that really pales into insignificance when we consider the events that have taken place in the Midlands over the past week. Coming up on Taking Care of Business this evening, John Shields of whatsfordinner.ie. It's a combined restaurant and off-licence delivery service operating in towns all across the Midlands. John's going to talk about their growth plans for the year ahead and how they can take your business digital within 48 hours. I'll also be talking 50 Shades, that's 50 Shades Greener now, the first national state-funded training programme to green the hospitality and tourism industry and reduce Ireland's carbon footprint is now open for applications. And I'll have some little bit more detail on that record year for job creation for local enterprise office helped businesses. You can contact me here in the studio on our text and WhatsApp number 083 103. You can email me too on business at midlands103.com. But up first this evening, um, I'm delighted to be joined by Minister of State Pippa Hackett. Pippa is Minister of State for Land Use and Biodiversity and a Green Party TD for Leash Offaly. Uh, Minister Hackett is here primarily to talk about a new Just Transition Fund that's available and can be an absolute game changer in terms of our regional areas. But we need to begin this evening because Minister Hackett was in Mount Bolas today at the funeral of Ashling Murphy. Um, surely an extremely, it was an extremely sad occasion, uh, Minister Hackett. Uh, absolutely, Ronan. And look, there, there seemed to be, uh, as far as I could see, several thousand people at the funeral, um, which I suppose re- reflects the, the, the depth of sadness that's felt in the community. Um, look, any any death in any funeral is a, is a sad occasion, but Ashling's was heart-wrenching, to be honest, and just to, I mean, acknowledge, um, I suppose, the bravery and, and just the, the devastation her her parents um ray and, and kathleen and their siblings Cahill and amy and her boyfriend ryan and, and families and friends must be going through at this stage um it, it, it's really such a tragic situation um i suppose look we you know there's going to be many difficult uh weeks and months ahead for the family and i suppose if everyone could support them in every way they can um everyone's been hugely supportive it seems to now um you know that needs to continue and i think for the rest of us we really do need to take a good long hard look about how we engage with each other um you know we we just have to start treating everyone with with more respect and, and dignity and um you know men and women so 
just to, yeah, I suppose, again, offer my sincere condolences to everyone. And I think that's it. There, there's deeper conversations to be had. But at this point in time, you know, all of us, including all of us here in Midlands 103, our thoughts are with Ashling's family at such a difficult time as well. But anyway, you're here to talk to us this evening about the EU's territorial, ter- excuse me, territorial plan for just transition funding. It is potentially going to be a game changer for the Midlands region. Can you take us through some of the main points behind the Just Transition Fund? I can, uh, Ronan. Um, As you say yourself, this is potentially a game changer for the Midlands. It's a significant amount of funding which will be coming to the Midlands over the course of the next, um, I suppose, six years, five or six years. Um, People will be aware we have had just transition funds um, to, you know, over the last couple of years. These were nationally supported ones. Um, We had sort of Strand One projects which started project delivery in September 2020 and then larger value Strand Two projects which started delivery from the middle of last year what really what this is about is about supporting um, regions across Europe from the European perspective and that have been directly hit by um, the decarbonisation process Um, clearly the Midlands um, particularly Offaly um, are, are very much in that and you know our country has is set to receive up to 84 million from from the EU from an EU fund which we will match fund from from the Irish government um, and you know we're making a decision now about how we might spend that money and there's currently a, a public consultation and, and wider consultation ongoing about that and following all of that we will make a submission the country will make its um, territorial plan submission to the EU in the middle of this year and hopefully from next year we'll be in the situation to be uh, rolling out some of this money. It's a relatively tight timeline there when you consider like the, the various, the, the size of the plan and the scale of it too and I know with that public consultation people can really give their input to it because this goes beyond, it's not just Borden and Mona linked, you know, you've mentioned there it's a cross-European mm-hmm. thing, it really is about that, you know, the, the decarbonisation, the impact that has on our communities, on our industries, on our businesses too, so really what kind of opportunities do you think, what, what might be the key areas where people could really take advantage of this fund and use it to better our, our, our region? Um, I think you've said it right. It's about bettering our region and it's really about trying to harness into the, the innovation that exists in the Midlands, um, in communities in the Midlands. And, and there is a great deal of that. Um, so it's about trying to, to use that this fund in the best way possible. It's not just for a necessarily for a project that starts and ends. It's about initiating uh, something that will, will grow and develop into the future. It's about resilience and, and you know, sustainability uh, into the future for, for the Midlands. And look, when you even look through some of the, the, the funds that have been, or the projects that have been funded under the, the National Transition Fund, I mean, you're, you have a range of projects from sort of business development. And I can give an example, for example, like the Furban Food Campus, and Innovation Centre, you know, that's a project um, looking at the refurbishment of, uh, of, of areas, you know, to deliver local services and to, to accommodate people to, to innovate in, around food. You know, that received nearly 600,000 of a fund and, and, and that's ongoing. Um, you're looking at maybe projects in terms of education, training, upskilling. Um, we hear a lot about um, um, upskilling for um, retrofitting and so forth. I think there's, there's scope beyond that as well. Um, and, you know, co-working and enterprise hubs are becoming increasingly important. And we have seen funding for, for a number of those across the region as well. Um, and that's just some examples out of the first strand. But I think, look, the engagement and the, the uh, consultation is going to be 
crucial here. So any any groups in particular um, who have some really innovative ideas about how this money could be used to, to create jobs, to, to improve the, the, the local area, to, to grow a community, you know, those are the sort of ideas we're looking for. Um, but I would invite anyone to really get involved in the public consultation. There was one on today, I believe you may have been at it yourself, Roland. I was, yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you found it, but there is another one. Uh, I think it's next Tuesday, January the 25th. That's a, it's an online, so it should be accessible to, to very many people. Um, there's also going to be youth engagement here, which is important, um, an online workshop specifically dedicated to young people between 16 and 24 years of age who, who live or work or study in the region. Um, that is being organised directly with national youth rep- representation organisations. But look, the information, if anyone's interested, is, is either available through gov.ie, the website, or my own uh, pippahackett.ie website. There's links there if anyone is interested in getting involved. But this survey, all of this will be done uh, by the middle of February um, and then the my you know Minister Ryan's department will have to put together all the inputs and, and make that submission to the EU. I mean I think it's a it's a very positive development for the for the region. I think there's huge opportunity here and we think you know I think we're well placed to embrace the, the opportunities that can come from this sizable amount of funding. And I would obviously encourage anybody that can make it next Tuesday. I think it's on at half past six in the evening just to allow even more people yes, sorry, to, to make it. Yes, half six to half eight, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. And because so. even there today, like, you know, they discussed the, the main development needs that are going to, you know, form part of this territor- territorial plan and everything in between. Like, there was a huge, diverse range of people from across uh, the counties in the Midlands, people in social enterprises, people in semi-state bodies, people in private industry. And it was quite fascinating to hear what they would like to see coming from it. And you, I, de- I certainly got a sense that it's, it's a sounding board, your voice has been heard and all that will help inform the plan. So I think absolutely, if you have a chance for people, anyone listening, get on there because um, as Minister, Minister Hackett has pointed out, this is going to be submitted very, very shortly and we need to get action on that there now. But... Um, I, absolutely, and I think you know. I think the broad, the broader, the better. In one sense, you know, it could be tourism, it could be heritage ideas people have. You know, again, sort of community development. Um, you know, it really is a, a, an open door, a blank sheet. So, you know, the more innovative ideas we get on there, that the stronger our application will be. So, you know, best wishes to anyone who, who does engage. But you know, certainly would invite everyone to, to to engage with the public consultation. And a key point of it actually was people were saying you don't we don't need the big American multinationals all the time. That actually, if you look at the entire ecosystem of businesses in a community, we can probably create e- an equal amount or even more sustainable jobs. Absolutely. I think that's a hugely important point and, 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 and thank you for raising it because it is about that sort of indigenous uh, job creation from the grassroots. And in a way, that's what we had because we had the, we had the peat in the Midlands and we grew jobs from that. Now we have to grow jobs from our, our people, um, still maybe using the land in some shape or form, but in a different way and, and, and growing those jobs from the grassroots. So that in, you know, ensure sustainability. So maybe rather than having a big IDA, um, you know, factory employing, say, 500 people, maybe you're better to have, you know, a number of, of 50 places employing 10. You know, there's a certain sustainability in that. Um, so, look, 
whatever we can get to the Midlands is going to be great. But I think this really gives a chance for for the people here to embrace this and to use this fund for their own, for their, you know, for where they see it's going to best serve the community. And later in the show, I'm just going to touch on the the, the job creation that has happened last year in in local enterprise office uh, funded companies. And just exactly what you're saying, it is happening out there. So there is a chance Mm -hmm. for people to, to leverage that. But anyway, Minister Pippa Haggett, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me this evening. Not at all. Thanks, Ronan. Minister Pippa Hackett is a Minister of State for Land Use and Biodiversity and a Green Party TD for Leash Offaly. Um, keep your texts coming in. 083 103 is my, the number here in the studio. Always delighted to hear from you. After the break, have you used whatsfordinner.ie in the past year or 18 months? Uh, later, after the break, I will be talking to the CEO and co- co-owner of that company, John Shields. He's going to give us an update on what it's been like in the past 18 months and what their plans are for the year ahead. What's for dinner.ie? I'm not sure about you, but I know in my house, if any of the kids ask what's for dinner, pretty much every time somebody shouts .ie. And I suppose such is the scale of the marketing campaign and the growth of what's for dinner.ie. I'm delighted to be joined now by co-founder and CEO, John Shields. John, you were first with me on taking care of business what seems way back in September 2020. Um, and at that point, we had kind of come out of some restrictions, but still very much restaurants and that were subjected to just deliveries uh, service only or collection or deliveries. So it really sounds like what's for dinner was coming into its own at the right time. How have things been ever since? Oh uh, yeah, good evening Ronan. Nice to talk to you again. Um, yeah, look, I think no more than um, any business in Ireland in, in any industry, um, COVID has presented major cha- challenges and hurdles that we've had to, we pretty much had to adapt to. You've had no choice um, other than to get the head down and, and find a way around the hurdles. And what sort of what were the primary hurdles that you found in front of you? Um, well, as a, as a business, our, I guess our main function is to work alongside restaurants and retail partners in providing a service. And as those were severely hit and affected by by COVID, um, it's obviously had a huge knock-on effect with us. Um, daily challenges we would have been facing faced would have been. Yes, restaurants opening and closing due to the fact they may not have had staff or they may not um, have known whether they're going to be in business uh, that particular week or that particular day. Um, so if a restaurant wasn't open, obviously we, we you know we couldn't uh, provide a service for that particular restaurant. We also have found it extremely difficult to 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 provide to provide drivers um, d- during COVID. A lot of the, the the workforce would probably, for health reasons and for family reasons, made themselves unavailable, um, and obviously wanted to protect their their family and rightly so. So, being a delivery service, uh, we can have the best technology in the world. We may have the best website um, in our, in our industry or not, um, but without drivers, um, we, we we pretty much we can't do too much. So, um, and also. We, we, we have at, at this moment um, a team of 15 people working in our head office and the same as any other business, uh, a lot of our staff were affected by COVID. So there were times we were running barely on skeleton staff um, to, to, to run the business from the head office. 
Well, you've certainly painted a, a picture of the challenges. And again, I think many people listening will really empathise with those challenges too. But you have a lot of, of the big brands, some of the very famous fast food outlets are associated that you can now order uh, food for delivery from whatsfordinner.ie. Did the fall off in maybe some of the smaller restaurants when they were closed, was that replaced? Or did you see a lot of growth then from some of the bigger chains as, as people were literally stuck at home and, and just looking for something different? Yeah, I, I mean, I think... What, what, what one of the the the, the, the fortuitous things that has happened to us as a, as a business is, of course, the, our, we, we've increased the number of orders we'll do in any given day or a given week, month, etc. Um, and during the COVID period, we we partnered with restaurants that came to us as a first-time partner, uh, and maybe without COVID, they they may not uh, have needed uh, to do that. Uh, we partnered with, with with restaurants that had never done delivery previous to COVID, uh, and they adapted themselves and and um, they they pivoted to 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 um, get their business to to adapt a, a delivery model which they may not have anticipated, you know, uh, within the weeks leading into COVID. So um, yes, uh, more people have come to the website, and then um, they. I think people, one of the successes of our website, one of the reasons our website has been successful is because uh, we offer a great deal of choice in any given area. Um, so when people come to the website, they may order from a, uh, a world-famous fast food restaurant today, uh, and on Saturday they may order fr- from one of our superstar local businesses uh, in the likes of Tullamore or Mullingar that, that are run independently by local people. And of course, bringing people that choice and you can also order from multiple outlets within the same delivery. But just take us back to if it is a restaurant, because again, I think like so many restaurants did not expect to be closed or under restrictions for as long as has been. When it comes to the onboarding day and getting a getting a, you know, a restaurant almost digital ready, you know, starting to use the app as well. Is that a big part of the service that What's for Dinner IE provides? Yeah, I think one one of the um, it, when a restaurant uh, comes to us for the first time now it, it may be a, a retail establishment as well because it's not just restaurants we deliver for at the moment we, we deliver for the grocery sector and also during covid we started delivering for the vape industry so we deliver vape on demand as well um, but one one of the surprises uh, that hits restaurants is that um, we, we we can have a 48 hour turnaround from the moment they put a, an inquiry in to, to pretty much having them live and, and ready for us to deliver for them, um, which is, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, it, it, it's a very, very fast turnaround. Um, so now we've obviously, it may have taken longer before COVID. We've we built up over the, over the years the amount of, t- uh, how fast we can actually do that ourselves as a company. Uh, and we've pretty much got it down to 48 hours now from the moment someone contacts us until they have the hardware, the software in their premises, uh, and we have the functionality on the website to have them live and a customer can order. That is a fast turnaround. And you mentioned the word pivot. It seems to be such a a 2021 word at this stage, but that that is certainly a a really good pivot for any, any business. As well as that, any other kind of technological developments then that you've looked at, maybe brought on by COVID or that were just part of your initial growth strategy? Um, look, I um, we we use AI as, as a business. Um, it's something that we were developing um, in the last um, say twelve months prior prior to COVID. Now we didn't think we would uh, have it 
within place as fast as, we, as we've had done. Um, but because of the, the, the challenges we met with regard to physically having staff within our business to, to do some of that work, um, we've, we've had to introduce AI at a quicker rate. And, and obviously that's, that's, that's had benefits um, because it enables us to process orders at a quicker pace. Um, so I, I guess that's been the biggest technological advancement for us as a business in, in, in the last 12 months. And maybe I'm going to ask you a bit more specific on it. So when you use AI, it's, it's an area I'm very interested in. Um, for anyone listening that mightn't be familiar, um, it can often mean something else in more rural communities. But no, it's artificial intelligence. How are you using that then for what's for dinner.ie and, and, and what are the be- real benefits you're getting from it? Um, I guess the, the benefits are that it processes an order uh, a breakneck speed from when a, um, a customer places the order in the cart to when that order lands on a driver's app. So um, without the need for, for, for a human being to, 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 to assist the journey along the way. So the AI at the moment can determine where a driver is, uh, if he's available for um, to take the order, which restaurant is near. He, is he the closest driver to a particular drop-off? Does it make logistical sense to give this driver a particular order on this particular journey? So you really, you're really enhancing that user experience too from the, from the customer perspective. And do you then, as a company, do you set kind of metrics or KPIs around delivery times, around kind of turnaround times for orders? As a company, we would have set those metrics before COVID. Um, it's been a huge challenge to, 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 to meet any of those metrics during COVID. Um, and one of the challenges we're facing is has been to try and provide a service that we'd be proud of and we could stand over during COVID. Um, there would have been times where, you know, we, when we failed that, given the shortage of drivers um, to cope with the, 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 you know, the maximum demand that we've experienced. So um, the metrics are there. I guess the metrics have been moved d- during the pandemic um, as the, the demand has been unprecedented. And as you look down at the year ahead, thankfully, it does look like there's a little bit of a bit of optimism out there regarding kind of Omicron variant and the current COVID figures. It looks like there will be an easing of restrictions on the hospitality sector, uh, maybe announced even as close as this weekend. What then does that do for what's for dinner.ie? What's on your agenda for the year ahead? Is it kind of consolidation? Is it stabilising the ship? Or are you going to continue with a, with a growth strategy? Um, yeah, look, we, we have a very ambitious growth strategy set out for the next 12 months. Um, now, that will always be determined by uh, how stable um, and how confident local businesses and national businesses are uh, in terms of restaurants or retail uh, partners, etc., uh, of them being open and able to function. Touch wood, that all looks likely that you know things will return to, to a, a certain normality. Um, once that happens, we, we, we would expect to, uh, by the end of this year, to, to, to be in the majority of counties um, across the island. You're still enjoying it? Ah, look, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, look, it, it's great fun. Um, it's not without challenges. It's not without stress. Uh, it's a very, very fast-moving industry, so um, you don't get much time to, to, to rest and ponder. A lot of these decisions that you make uh, are, are problems that come in the door in the morning uh, and I need an answer, you know, there and then. Um, some you get right, some you get wrong. Thankfully, at this stage, we, we, we tend to be getting more right than we're getting wrong. 
And it certainly sounds that way too. Now, John, it's a pleasure as always. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out this evening. I know you have a busy schedule there too. All the very best in the future with whatsfordinner.ie and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Pleasure, thank you. Don't really need to give out the uh, website address there, do I? It's very easy. It's in the name anyway. But again, Irish company, bit of a disruptor in terms of technology there too, but providing great service that to restaurants. And as John has pointed out, they're getting some restaurants and, and grocery shops and the like getting them digital and getting them in front of their customers and allowing easy access to their products and service. So uh, well done to everybody after a challenging 18 months there, but big plans ahead. After break, I'm going to talk about 50 Shades. Not grey, I hear you thinking or saying. No, 50 Shades Greener. It's a new education programme that's aimed at greening up the hospitality sector and there's a lot of good stuff behind it. We're going to find out the creator of it, going to meet the creator of it after this quick break. Led by the Kildare and Wicklow Education Training Board, 50 Shades Greener is the first national state-funded training programme to green the hospitality and tourism industry and therefore reduce Ireland's carbon footprint overall. We talk about the climate action bill that's now out and even there earlier in the show talking to Minister Pippa Hackett about the just transition and how there's going to be money there to help businesses make that transition to net zero carbon or to carbon neutral and to try to really bring that regional development in so there's not a sector out there that is not affected by climate change you're seeing it with rising energy costs rising raw material costs everything every aspect of your business I'm sure you're all getting letters over the past six months price rises price rises price rises so where can money be made or saved where can we make a real difference not just financially but obviously in terms of the community be it our carbon footprint as well well to find out more about this really innovative education program i'm delighted to be joined by the founder raquel naboa a uh, very good evening raquel can you take us through 50 shades greener fantastic name but there's a there's a hell of a lot of good stuff behind this program Thank you, Ronan. Um, yes, so Fifty Shades Greener uh, was founded in 2017 by myself, and we have a team of eight people now, four of us here in Ireland and four of them in the UK. And I guess it was um, from the very beginning, we're all working in the company, we're all ex-hospitality employees. Um, and you could say that we kind of identify a, a skills gap in the education and training that we received ourselves as young managers. I was quite shocked when I started learning about green hospitality and what a green hotel or a restaurant can achieve in terms of cost savings. Um, and I was quite shocked that I hadn't received that type of training during my own hospitality management uh, program. And so, yeah, I decided to branch out from my beloved hospitality industry in 2017 and found the company. and has been going from strength to strength, obviously, because it is a much-needed um, education now, not just for hospitality, but for all industries, really. Um, I guess my mission is to make carbon emissions management something that is um, part of our curriculum, something that every single person should learn about. I mean, we're, we're teaching kids now as young as 15 as to how to calculate the carbon emissions of their own households. And when you measure something, you can actually manage it. Um, and, and that, for me, is, is the key starting point of everything. Is, is if you can measure your environmental impact, you can take steps to reduce it. And participating businesses, they, they can see cost savings of potentially up to 30% per annum. That's mm-hmm. extremely significant, especially given current energy prices. Yeah, we're seeing reductions of about 30% in energy, 40% in wa- in waste, and between 25 and 30% in water. And I mean, you know, when it comes to a hospitality business, um, your utility bills are your second largest cost to your business, after your staff um, cost, obviously. So, you know, 
to not teach our young managers now how to become energy efficient and waste efficient and to reduce those utilities, we're really doing a disservice, I think, to, to the people that are going to be managing this industry for us in the next few years. The figure of 40% that you quoted there around waste, you're not just, I assume, talking about like reducing the amount of waste food or the waste products. You're, are you looking much deeper at things like process waste and, you know, waste time spent looking for items or trying, you know, trying to, you know, over communication or miscommunication of basic instructions? Is it really trying to get deep into where all the wastes are occurring? Yeah, we try and uh, bring our training programs, at least the initial programs, to a basic level because obviously we're we're dealing with students now that have never actually dealt into this kind of um, subjects and you know people would kind of recoil and move away from things that are just way too big and unmanageable so we try and bring it all down to very simple steps and you know step number one when it comes to waste is what waste are you generating and do you know with clarity what your top most disposed of items are for example so, you know, that's, that's what it all starts, is understanding the waste that your business produces and then taking a step to try and reduce those most disposed of items. I mean, one very clear win in hospitality is our dreaded mini toiletries, which are absolutely one of my pet hates. And you still find them in hotels far and wide all over the world. I still find them when I go on my travels. And it's just, it's a crying shame, really, that, you know, something that is a single-use plastic, that it has the lifespan of one night, really, that it's still be used by your industry when there is so many other alternatives. So we start really at a, a lower level, say, of um, skills enhancement by observing our waste, understanding our supply chain, understanding really the life cycle of the products. And this is not just for hospitality, it's for everything that we buy. You know, anytime you purchase anything, you know, if we could even bring that awareness to ourselves, say, what's the life cycle of this product? How long am I going to use it for? And what is going to happen to it when I finish with it? Um, I think we would all, you know, create a much better understanding of the massive waste problem that we have in the world. In in general, across the hospitality sector, what is there, you know, how, how open and accepting are they of creating things like maybe an environmental management plan? Is it something the sector is quite up to speed with or could it possibly be lagging behind other other sectors? Um, I wouldn't say it's lagging behind because I believe every single sector and every single industry needs to do better. Um, so it's not like we're lagging behind anybody else, but it is, you know, it, to me, it's no secret anyway, that in hospitality, we tend to overuse resources. We tend to, you know, produce more waste than we really need to. We can run the exact same business, producing less waste, using less energy and water. So it's, it's you know, it's the same for many other industries. It's not just hospitality, but we are kind of well known for, you know, it's a very fast paced environment. It's a busy industry. Um, you're always obviously your your attention always goes first to the customer Um, and so we tend to forget that there is other things that need to be part of our routines and that with very small behavioral changes we can actually achieve a lot Um, so I guess you know what I used to hear all the time before the pandemic from hospitality was that we know we need to do something about this but we're too busy we don't have time right now we'll be in contact again next year and I think the pandemic really gave the industry and its people time to sit back and think and, you know, and, and probably get behind all these kind of projects like having a green program that they had wanted to do for a long time. 
Um, so then the fact that obviously Kildare Weekly Educational Training Board got behind it and um, offered this programme fully funded has seen a massive change in the Irish hospitality industry. Right now we have over 250 businesses registered for training, um, which is actually a 20%, 20-25% of the entire hotels in Ireland. Um, but the programme is not open only to hotels. We're also open to cafes, to restaurants, to visitor centres, really any hospitality um, business in, in, in the country. It doesn't have to be just hotels. But at the moment, it seems to be hotels that are kind of jumping into the opportunity a lot faster than, than other businesses. And how is the programme delivered and typically how long does it take for a business to move through the entire, the, all the modules? Yeah, so we've two delivery options. The first one is um, applying for a fully online program. So that's kind of go at your own pace, um, which works really well for hospitality because they can pick up and watch our videos. are all It's all video format um, through our online platform. They're really short videos. So they teach you how to perform an action and then you need to spend that week trying to do that action. So it's bite-sized, I guess, uh, program. We say it is implementable normally. Our customers take between a four to six month period, um, obviously doing a part time. Nobody's expecting to do this on a full, as a full time job. Um, but you can do it faster than that if you wanted to, or you can take an entire year. It is really for us is whatever it works for the business because sustainability needs to be a forefront of every business, but it also needs to work for the business. And then the second option is to have in-company training where any business can apply for a trainer to come to their business and impart training to upskill their employees and their great team. And that's done through their local educational training board. And is that primarily at the minute, is it Kildare and Wicklow ETB that you've partnered with to deliver this or would it eventually roll out to all the ETBs? So Kildare Wicklow Educational Training Board, they are actually funding the programme at a national level, but they are also collaborating with 15 ETBs around the country. Um, we've, we're working with every ETB, actually, I think, now at the moment, except for one. And so we have been training all the ETB trainers to become trainers of our programme. So we have spent a, a three-week period with each of, each of their trainers, and so they're ready to deploy training. Now, at the moment, obviously, because of the pandemic, you know, most applications for the training have been for the online version, um, particularly because when we started this project, we were still under strict lockdowns. Um, but now more and more this year, we've seen a lot more businesses applying for in-company training, which is also a really good thing to see education and training going back as face-to-face, you know, after the pandemic. Because like, like that, it's a sector that even pre-pandemic had issues with trying to find staff or retain staff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the more we can upskill them, surely it's helping there too. But the pandemic has been a, a strange one for that sector. Never mind, you know, hotels yeah. being closed, the restaurants, but there was that kind of flick back 18 months ago to everything being single use and packaged in a couple of layers yeah. of plastic. That that must have been hard. Kind of, I know it, it allowed business yeah. to stay open and stay making money to some extent, but it must have been hard from the point of view of sustainability. It was really hard running. I actually visited a couple of our uh, customers when they reopened in 2020 around September time and customers of mine that would have done really well prior to the pandemic and when I went in it was all back to single-use plastics and it really breaks your heart, you know, because I knew that they had worked so hard to eradicate single-use plastics from their operations and then because of guidelines that they were given through the WHO and many other organisations, they had to go back to single-use plastics. So it was a bit of a regression but... I ultimately think the pandemic um, did bring some sort of positive side, if you could name it, like a silver lining, which was to give people time to 
to stop and think and reassess um, and to start thinking about the environment. And, you know, hospitality would not survive really without our natural landscapes and the, the natural beauty of Ireland. And so, you know, if we don't look after that nature, um, we won't really have an industry in another few years' time. And that has become a key theme of the, the Just Transition funding, actually, that, yes. uh, that that need to build more accommodation to really increase the amount of tourist amenities we have, even down to ecotourism to, to attract the people mm. in. But, yeah, really interesting to hear you say that, all right, that it was a, a kind of a real bugbear of people for years and then the pandemic seemed to really just increase the volume of, of waste that was created. But I'm sure with all this then, the, the key thing is... Um, consumer behaviour is changing anyway so the consumers will not want to see those items I suppose anymore and and that's the the key thing hotels need to adapt or else you might lose business for it Absolutely Um, we've seen this change coming from pre the pandemic and it all to me I guess what I saw a shift in change in consumer mentality was when the Fridays for Future a Greater Thunberg movement started slowly but surely we start to see in a shift and obviously you know there has been thousands and millions of young people you know manifesting every friday for 18 months prior to the pandemic um asking for climate action and we can't forget that all those students in the next five to ten years are going to be our target customers they're going to be the people traveling around and so if you don't align your business to your new customer values you know Soon enough, they will not want to stay with you. But we see that across everything. We see that across sustainable shopping. We see that around fast fashion. Um, and yeah, I really do believe it's a movement. You know, the Green Wave is a movement that has come from society itself more than from governments or from even also educational bodies. You know, we are only responding to what we see society wanting to change. Remind us how people can find out more information about the programme or need how they can go about signing up for it. Yeah, so everything is hosted on the Kildare Wicklow Educational Training Board uh, website, which is marinehouse.ie. And in there, people can click into the sustainability menu and apply for either the online uh, training programme or the in-company training programme. And just to check, it is fully funded, is it? Fully funded. There is obviously a bit of paperwork to be filled in. And that (laughs) happens with every state-funded training programme. But once you build in your paperwork, then you will get your training completely free of charge. And um, yeah, and right now we've just launched a qualification in the framework of education in, in uh, Ofqual in the UK. So anybody that participates on the Green Business Programme by KWTV can also apply for their green manager to receive this first qualification um, of its kind. So that's another very exciting development that we have just achieved this year. You're doing very little to put people off this. It sounds very appealing overall and <laughs> obviously a commendable endeavour and very worthwhile too because as you said yourself, if people, if hotels, business don't change, your consumer will not use your product or service then. So really time to change. Plus you can add into, into that that within the next maybe year to two years, we'll be into things like reporting, the non-financial reporting where companies will have to declare their their actions towards reducing carbon emissions and stuff. Yes. I know it's going to start up at the, the big companies, the, the multinationals mm. and filter its way down, but probably not that far away for, for small SME-sized companies. Exactly. It's not that far away. And, you know, rather than waiting for somebody to make you do something, you know, 
I would much prefer to be, you know, an early adapter. And actually, that there is no negative from running a green program. You're going to reduce your energy use, your your waste and your water. You're going to save a ton of money. You're going to attract more customers. There is a carbon-conscious traveling market right now that, you know, it's waiting for more hotels to actually reduce their carbon emissions. And then you also um, increase your staff retention and your staff satisfaction because, Millennials, young people, they actually prefer to work in a business of whatever industry that has a green program in place. The green program actually can really bring your team together because they're fighting towards a common cause for something that they really care about. So it really is not negative to it. You know, I used to say that, you know, sustainability was the nice thing to do. But right now, really, it's the smart thing to do is... If you're not doing it right now, you're probably going to then get behind. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's actual action and it's action that can be verified, certified, etc. And, and I suppose exactly. those actions that can be lived out by your staff. Raquel, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, congratulations. Sounds like a fantastic programme. And I'm sure there's going to be huge interest in that from companies across Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having us. And that's Raquel Naboa there, the founder of Fifty Shades Greener. Great name, but as you just heard there as well, there's a huge amount of substance behind that programme there too. And Raquel paints a beautiful picture of the need for companies and for your staff and employees to really embrace that in order to ensure that the customers, particularly in the hospitality, keep coming back to you. Because, as she's pointed out, within five or ten years, all those kids, as you might have labelled them, that were out protesting and demanding climate action will be your customers. So I'm going to leave you at that point for now. After the break, I'm just going to look at the really great announcement yesterday morning, or actually it came out early this morning, um, showing the level of uptake and growth in terms of businesses that are supported and helped by the local enterprise offices across the country. Fantastic statistics behind it. Great news for the Midlands. That's all coming up after a very quick break. First part of this evening's show, I discussed with Minister Pippa Hackett the importance and the absolute potential of creating small-scale startups right across the region in order to create long-term sustainable employment. And this has now been backed up by evidence because the local enterprise offices around the country supported the creation of over 7,400 new jobs last year. The service supports a total of 35,000 jobs across 7,000 small businesses around the country. The Taunishta and Minister for Enterprise, Leo Varadkar, launched the official report earlier this morning and Porik McElwee, Chair of the Network of Local Enterprise Offices, says a range of business sectors have seen growth in 2021. In some locations we've seen our small food producers rebound and I think that's a reflection of local communities actually buying from local food producers Producers. We've also seen our engineering companies perform quite strongly and particularly as supply chain comes under pressure, a lot of multinational companies are now starting to source product locally. So that is having a huge benefit in our manufacturing and engineering sector. Because so much change is happening there too, but it's fantastic to see the growth of jobs created by our local enterprise offices. You'd know by listening to Taking Care of Business, they deliver a fantastic suite of services. Um, but Leo Varadkar this morning also said that he intends to bring in five new workers' rights, including an extra bank holiday. Um, again, this was at the announcement this morning of the local enterprise back jobs, where he has said that basically the figures are encouraging and that government will do more to back businesses and workers. There's going to be five new workers' rights statutory sick pay, the right to request remote working, the protection of tips, new redundancy rights for people who were, born, who were laid off during the pandemic, and an additional public holiday to bring us more in line with our European peers. 
As somebody once said, change is the only constant at this stage as well. So much is changing out there from an employer's point of view and employment rights, all but is to be welcomed and commended because I'm going to finish off tonight's show by just making a brief reference to the fact that we all know that now there is big discussions to be had. They're not for tonight because tonight all our thoughts and condolences go to the Murphy family and to Ryan Casey. They've had a horrendous week. God, their work is only really beginning, but I felt it very fitting to play out tonight. A beautiful verse that was written by Frank Kelly. Frank is a former colleague here at Midlands 103. He's the immediate past principal at Doro NS, and he's known Ashley Murphy for most of her life because of his, such as his love and his ingrainment in traditional Irish music across the Midlands and beyond. So Frank delivered this verse that he wrote last Friday night at the Vigil for Ashling out in Dora National School and I think it is the most fitting way to end this evening's show. Ashling. Before you, Ashling, the expectant faces, drinking in your every word. The little girls who wanted to be like you, wanted to be you. The little boys who listened, because Miss Murphy knows everything. Your classroom, a happy place where parents knew you cared. You'd teach them to play, you'd teach them to sing, because Miss Murphy knows everything. Now we pause and remember, on your spirit reflect, in the silence of your absence deep. We'll check the homework you can't now correct, and safe will your memory keep. But Doro is robbed, its golden heart taken from in front of our eyes. Burgled is your beautiful music, stolen your beautiful smile. No more can we hear your song, Enjoy your charm or grace, for gone is the expectation you brought to this grateful place. Though a short time here, in our hearts you're enshrined. We don't count you in years, but in smiles left behind. Forever we'll echo the tunes you played, the songs you've sung. For with us, dear Ashling, you are forever young. with the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.